0: We're going to be in 2nd Peter chapter 3 today. So you can feel free to open up your Bibles there. And if you'd like, you could also put a, a little marker or something in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be peeking into that chapter as well. But we're closing out the uh the book of 2 Peter. And um And uh, these are his last words, and um, I think they're filled with hope. And you know, I want to start off, you know, this morning's message by saying, Jesus is coming back again. Like he's coming back again. I don't know. Does that get anyone excited in here? All right. And I think that's something we gotta we gotta hold on to, and we gotta we should be thinking about maybe a little more often than we do. And I'm. Saying this to myself, you know, that man, if it's just a little more heavenly minded, maybe, maybe my perspective on life would be different. Maybe I would, you know, see past the, the pain and sufferings and difficulties of life, maybe just a little bit easier. Um, you know, there's the expression, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's a really dumb expression, right? You know, because I would say that if you want to be earthly good, you need to be heavenly minded. Um, and so that's my hope that this morning we can, we can think about that and, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he was coming back again. That seems like a long time, but there's hope in that and it's worth waiting for just a little longer. Now, the second coming of Jesus, um, is actually a pretty big topic in the Bible, if you can believe it. In fact, so much that it's the second most talked about subject in the Bible, Um, It's referenced about 1,848 times, either spoken of or alluded to in the Bible. So that's basically about one out of 30 verses in the Bible. Um, It's one-fifth of the Bible that deals with the end of days or the second coming. Um, For every one verse about his first coming, there are about eight of his second coming. There's 21 times Jesus personally refers to it. And there's 50 times we're told to be ready for it. So, the second coming of Jesus, it's kind of a big deal. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, as recorded in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, There you may be also. And that's the promise. That's the promise that we hold on to, that he's preparing a better place for us. And if he's been preparing it for 2,000 years, it's going to be pretty awesome. So Peter's dealing with a group of false teachers or scoffers or people that are denying who Jesus is, was, and what he did. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, he calls out these false prophets and false teachers who are denying Jesus, and he warns against them. They got the past wrong. They got everything that you need to have right about Jesus, they got wrong. And if you get Jesus wrong, you're going to get everything wrong. It's important to know who he is, what he's done, what he stood for, and what he believed. And as we're going to see this morning, maybe some of that is challenging or going to be challenging for us. So um, um, as we get into the word, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you that Um, you're here in our midst you're um, with people who are watching from home god you're you're just so good and we thank you thank you for for the time of worship we've been able to have god and and we want to worship you through the study of your word now god so i pray that as we study these last words that peter wrote um, that are, are recorded for us god that they would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds god that you would speak to us through this message this morning God, we just want to hear from you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So he's stirring up their, their minds, and he's saying, you guys know some of this. I'm, I'm just reminding you. It's not like I'm even teaching you something that's completely new. I've already talked to you guys about this, but I'm stirring up your minds. And sometimes we need to be stirred up. Um, it's It can be easy to get kind of lethargic, maybe, spiritually lethargic. We get caught up in our daily routine, our weekly visit to church or whatever. But God wants to stir us up, you know, just like physically we can't get too lethargic. You know, I work from home. Uh, you know, I've been working from home since summer, and I, I very much enjoy it being working in my basement, my music blasting, and I have a lot of fun. But my wife will come home from her work, and she's like, Keith, you've been sitting all day. You need to get up and get some exercise. You can't just be sitting all day being lethargic. And I'm like, well, first of all, I walk with the Lord daily, so you know, ease up. Um, <laughs> if you're watching from home, just remember the camera adds 10 pounds, okay? And there's three cameras on me, so that's, you know, third. Okay, that's how that works, right? But um, <laughs> well, we can't be lazy, right? We gotta, we gotta be stirred up, and not just physically, but spiritually. And even though you've heard this same message maybe a hundred times before, it's important to stir your mind up once again. To once again think upon these things. Um, this, uh, this reference to the day of the Lord is talked about about 19 times specifically in the Old Testament. There's verses uh, 15, 19 verses in the Old Testament. Um, there's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and they all predict this day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's mentioned another four times. So what is the day of the Lord? Well, there's kind of a short answer and a long answer. The shortest answer would be... Um, There's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens, but it's going to end with a really, really awesome end. Um, A slightly longer, you know, answer might be that it's the day of the Lord is a period of time, not just one day, but a period of time that starts with the rapture and the tribulation, and um, it covers the millennial kingdom, and then a destruction of the universe and the world as we know it, the heavens and the earth, and then ends with a new heaven and a new earth. So it's almost like this whole period of time. Um, two of those 19 verses that I talked about, one of them is Jeremiah verse uh, chapter 46, verse 10, that says, for this is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. Amos chapter 5, verse 18 says, woe unto those who desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? For the day of the Lord is darkness, not light. So you're sitting there going, Keith, you just talked about us being heavenly-minded and being excited about this sort of thing. That does not sound like something to be excited about. Well, it's going to be a little bit different for, for those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior. It's going to be dark times indeed. Um, New Testament references, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, as recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, talks about what's going to happen during this time. Paul the Apostle speaks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and also 2 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2. And of course, John gives all the gory details in the book of Revelation, specifically chapters 6 through 19. So there's a little bit of light reading you can do when you go home. Um... But you see what Peter's doing here? He's talking about the Old Testament references, and he's taking the writings of the disciples and Paul the apostle, and he's elevating them up to the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying, you know, this is on the same level. What Jesus talked about, what we're talking about, this is end-time stuff. Let's put it all together. So he has a message for the scoffers. Verses 3 through 4 says, Knowing this, that Scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now a scoffer, here's the definition of a scoffer. Someone who laughs and speaks about a person or idea in a way that shows they think that person or idea is stupid or silly. Let me say that one more time. Someone who laughs and speaks about a person or an idea In a way that shows that they think that person or idea is stupid or silly. Today we call them fact checkers, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, scoffers have always been around since Peter's day and before that, and they're around now, and you know, they're. Everywhere on the internet, because that's really easy, just like scoff at someone on the internet, because you're never going to talk to that person face to face. But, you know, if you've ever tried to share your faith, you've probably encountered a scoffer or two, right? Um, you know, people are like, you believe in the Bible? You believe in that magic book, you know, that was written by uneducated men who, you know, just were making up these stories as they go? Don't, don't be a religious nut, you know, closed-minded fool, you know? Bible says that scoffers are going to scoff. Peter's saying, don't be surprised, knowing first that scoffers will come. Why? Because of verse 3. They want to continue living for their temporary pleasures. They don't want to believe anything that would speak of the judgment of God and hold them accountable for their immoral behavior. It's easy to do whatever you want if you pretend that God doesn't exist. Ah, God doesn't exist. There's no you know, accountability, no heaven or hell. I can do whatever I want. Well, if you believe there's a God, which I do, I want to find out who he is and what he wants. Um, And he has some guidelines for our lives, if you read through the Bible. But scoffers, they don't want to be held accountable, so they scoff at everything, even though in their heart of hearts they'll know the truth. Saying in verse 4, and notice this is in quotes, scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Things have always been how they are, and they're continuing to be as they are. So this is a belief, a philosophy called, it's a really long word and I hate pronouncing this word, uniformitarianism, uniformitarianism or something like that, right? It's the belief of the philosophy that things are moving steadily and slowly without punctuated cataclysm. the idea that things have always been and they will just continue to always be. It's kind of a dangerous world point, uh, uh, w- worldview though. If you measure all of history just based upon your tiny slice of experience, your tiny slice of, of time that you're, you've experienced, you're missing the bigger picture. Jesus is coming back and even though it's been 2,000 years and nothing's happened yet, the people who say, you know, Jesus is never coming back because it's been 2,000 years and he still isn't here. Well, that's kind of silly. That's like saying, well, I'm not going to die because I've never died yet, obviously, right? It's a silly argument. Ah, he's been 2,000 years. He's not come yet. Well, you know. Uniformitarianism is what Charles Darwin believes, and he followed and studied this and read books about it. And, well, he came up with a little theory of his own, which we all know, theory of evolution that's what it is it's a theory right that's what scoffers want to come up with a theory to try and scoff at god's creation to which peter would say verse five for this they willfully forget that by the word of god the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That's like the most biblical sounding thing ever, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, you know <laughs> But um, Peter gives two examples here: creation and the flood. Two cataclysmic events, where God definitely interrupted the flow of things. Now there is general uniformity in the world, and I'm not going to pretend that there isn't. There are very much predictable patterns, and uh, that exist around us, and and science to be discovered and followed. In fact, um, science is great. Like. I don't, I don't speak against science at all. Like, all Christians should, you know, be very interested in science. But, you know, the scoffers of the world want to say you can't believe in both. It has to be one or the other. Either you believe science or you believe in God. You can't believe in both. Well, that's kind of silly. And from my perspective, I think if you start with God and start believing all the things He said and use the Bible as a map to find, um, you know, science and, and archaeology, uh, archaeology and all sorts of good stuff you can discover so much more than if you stand and start at the point of not believing all these things and I don't like talking about science facts and stuff from up here on stage because I'm not a scientist and people will fact check me exact as soon as I say something and you think you're all being sneaky you know you pull out your phone oh I'm just looking up a passage of scripture here no you're fact checking and I can see it you scoffers uh, I'm just kidding, I've done, I do it too. <laughs> just a few weeks ago, someone was up here, I'm not gonna say who, and I was back at the sound booth, and I'm like, is that true? <laughs> and I like pulled it up real quick, wow, I, I didn't know that. Um, but the biblical worldview is that we live in an open system where God, because he's God, can, has, and will do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. And just because you in your little observable lifetime have seen a steady flow of events doesn't mean that's always been that way, nor will it continue to be. God can disrupt the flow of things anytime he wants. For this, they willingly forget. They just didn't forget. They willingly put it out of place, out of mind. And remember, because they want to push this stuff aside for their immoral behavior, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water now genesis chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 says that god separates the waters of the earth and what he does is he separates them from below the firmament to above the firmament so what he's describing here is a canopy of water around the earth most likely right above the ozone layer just a canopy of water Now you can imagine what this would do to the earth and how this would change everything about the earth. For one, it would create just enormous greenhouse effect. Um, For one, it would block harmful rays from the sun coming to the earth. It would slow down the aging process significantly, which could explain why Adam lived to be 930 years old. In fact, uh, the pressure from this water on the earth would have changed the earth's pressure, would have changed the oxygen content. In fact, you can Google this stuff. This is one thing you can fact check me on if you want, Um, is that they found amber with pockets of air in amber, and they analyzed the air samples, this ancient air, and it's at a higher oxygen percent level. Um, So the oxygen back there was richer, um, stronger, just everything about that, time would have been healthier so all of a sudden it starts to make more sense about how you know people lived for hundreds of years back there if God had created such a, a you know a very rich uh, atmosphere and conditions for life back then before the fall just started destroy messing with everything when God unleashed the flood it's possible that a meteor came an asteroid or whatever came and punched through the through the 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 water camp canopy and maybe that collapsed it and and you know the rain you know collapsed and everything came down it could be that um genesis chapter 7 verse 11 says on the day that on that day all the foundations of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened so maybe it was that the deep from volcanoes erupted into the air and all the dirt and rocks and dust and provided the particles necessary on this water canopy to start pulling it down into rain form for the first time and maybe it collapsed that way um genesis chapter two says there was no rain at this time the mist came up from the ground to water the earth so everything was different back then um the flood can explain so much, and again, if you start, you know, looking into, you know, the scientific possibilities, the asteroid coming in, hitting the Earth, and knocking the Earth off access, uh, off its access, you know, and all of a sudden there's um, two polar ice caps. Now, if you again, you can Google this stuff. You can find they found like, you know, traces of a d- much different environment that once existed, like at the North Pole and like Alaska. They found like a palm leaf, you know, like a petrified uh, palm leaf fossil or whatever, you know, like. There's there's things that scientists can't explain away so easy, but you can if you believe in creation. When the flood happened, all sorts of crazy things, you know, like there's there's things like, I'm, I'm gonna get off topic a little bit like, but you can Google this stuff. There's like, they found like woolly mammoths that were perfectly frozen, like instantly frozen. Because they have like food still on their tongue, like buttercups still on the tongue of a woolly mammoth and the food in its belly still able to, uh, before it was digested, you know? Do you know what it takes to insta-freeze a mammoth, a beast like that? Not just like freeze on the outside, but like to freeze the guts inside? That's saying something. That's a cataclysmic event. A literal belief in creation, a literal belief in Adam and Eve, A literal belief in Noah's flood are essential for true understandings of God's work, both then and now. To deny these events as happening is to undermine the very foundations of our faith. Sadly, today there's many Christians who compromise on this belief and willfully forget these things, putting themselves in place of scoffers, more and more pressure on us where everyone's a genius and has a smartphone and can argue things you know it's it makes it easier for christians to compromise on their beliefs and say okay yeah well yeah you got a point maybe evolution did happen but i still believe in jesus it's a whole package deal you can't just pick and choose what you believe um in fact jesus himself quotes from genesis i'll give you a few examples Matthew chapter nineteen verses four through five. Jesus said, "Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and for this reason the two shall become one flesh?" Well, Jesus certainly believed in Adam and Eve. Matthew chapter twenty-three verse thirty-five. Jesus references the blood of Abel. He was certainly able to believe that story. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's all okay. Get a good grown-out. Sorry. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39 says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus certainly believed in the flood, You just can't be a Christian and pick and choose what you want to believe about your faith. Jesus believed these things. If you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus died and rose again and saved you from your sins, you have to believe what he believed. Otherwise, if he's just a crazy man who just had it wrong, he didn't understand how evolution works back then, if you believe that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, then why would you trust him to save you from your sins if he was just a crazy man? It's a whole package deal. You can't have the redemption of sin if you can't believe in the original fall of man. There's no point in having Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, and the blood of the Lamb. It's all meaningless if you can't believe in how it all started. So you kind of, start to understand how important this is in our lives. Do we have to understand all of it? No, but I do think we have reasonable evidence to put our faith in Christ and faith in the Bible, that by the word of God, the heavens were were of old, that it was God's active word that he spoke that creation came into being. Verses 8 through 10 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. What seems like forever for us is but a short time to God. A day is as a thousand years. And just as this time seems like a long time for us, it's not that long for God. Just as like Christmas Eve is the longest day of a kid's life. (laughs) So we might see, you know, this returning of of Jesus, right? Um, I remember being a kid and my mom telling the story that um, when she was a teenager, she she knew Jesus was going to come back. She she had no idea. I mean, she she never thought in a million years would she have the chance to get married and have kids. She just didn't think that would happen because Jesus was definitely going to come back before she graduated high school. Well, Today actually is my older brother's 40th birthday today. So I imagine, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy that Jesus didn't come back within the last 40 years. Has, has anyone here been saved in the last 40 years? Is there anyone who could raise their hand and say, I've been saved in the last 40 years? We had a bunch of people in the last service, you know, and I see hands. Probably some people here who are glad Jesus didn't come back in the last 40 years or even longer. I'm Personally, glad he didn't come back in the last 2,000 years, right? Peter quotes this idea from Psalm chapter 90, verse 4, that says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it is past, and like a watch in the night. 2,000 years might seem like a long time to us, but for Jesus, it's only been a couple days. (laughs) The Lord is not slack in his promise. That promise that he's preparing a better place and that he's going to bring us to that. The truth is that God will always keep his promise without delay. He's not slack. He's not delaying. It's just in his timing. He's not late, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God taking so long? Because he wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to be punished. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. The end times, the second coming of the Lord is something that's going to be sweet to us, but it's going to be bitter to the rest of the world who doesn't believe. Um, in fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 10, John is given this little book and he's told to, to swallow it. And in his mouth, it's sweet as honey, but when it goes to his stomach, it's bitter and turns his stomach It's kind of like eating at Taco Bell, you know, like it's, it's sweet in your mouth and I immediately regret it immediately after I eat it. But I still go back (laughs) every time. But it's that idea, right? Something so sweet or eating too much candy. I go to the movie theater and, you know, I just pig out on popcorn and candy and just immediately (laughs) regret just having that bitter stomach. Um, The day of the Lord is going to be sweet 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 time for us christians but it's going to be a bitter moment for everyone left on earth but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and all the works that are in them will be burned up so this reference is a thief in the night it's going to happen so quickly like you're, when you're not expecting it. The thief comes in the middle of the night when you're not expecting it. And by the time you realize it's happening, it's too late. Verses 11 through 13 says Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in the same way that God created the heavens and the earth, he's going to destroy them. Just like he used that, that canopy of water on the, of the earth to fall and flood the earth. He's going to use the elements that are already in place to destroy uh, the world with fire. Fire is all around us. In fact, here's a few fun facts about Fire. And temperatures and a little science facts. The surface of the sun is about 10 to 20 degrees, 10 to 20,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The core of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. The speed at which that light travels from Earth, uh, from the sun here, is about 186,000 miles per second. It's pretty fast. Speed, uh, uh, the speed of sound is a little bit slower. In fact, some uh, sounds have been measured to take about 40 years to go from the mouth of a parent to a teenager's ears. Um, (laughs) The temperature of the Earth's core is about 12,400 degrees Fahrenheit. And the only thing separating us from the core of that, that 12,400 degrees is just a thin 10 miles of crust. And it's just all set, all poised to go off like a nuclear bomb. The elements will just explode with fervent heat. It's all going to burn. And we've probably heard that expression before. Oh, don't worry about those things, man. It's all going to burn, right? It's a good mindset to have, you know. If we're chasing after possessions and, you know, those important, the things we think are important. It's all going to burn. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Did you know you can hasten the day of the Lord? Well, how can we do that? By holy conduct and godliness, which I might say should include sharing the gospel with others, right? Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says that God's prophetic focus on Israel will resume when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That means that as soon as the last person is saved, the last Christian gives their life to Jesus, that's it. It's all going to happen. The end times are going to kick off. So get going. Get out there and share the gospel. <laughs> what are you waiting for, right? If it's hard for you to share the gospel, which I love this, and I told you I was going to steal this, and I'm doing it, Jed. <laughs> the other night we were at youth group and. and uh, Bud Jet over there, he said that uh, he heard from another pastor that sharing the gospel is just two nervous people talking to each other. You know and I'm like, "That's genius, that's brilliant. And I told him right there I was going to steal it. Um, but like, yeah, it's totally, it's totally true. Like if you ever feel nervous like sharing the gospel with someone else, like that person you're talking to is just as nervous. <laughs> the only difference being is that you have the truth and you have the power. Um, of salvation, to that story, that message to give out, to give hope to that person. So don't be afraid. And if you struggle with that, no problem. Easter's coming up. Grab one of those cards off the tables, grab a sign, and just invite someone to the Easter service, some way, somehow, and we'll give them the message. Um, Tom, you're, you're going to be speaking on Easter, right? Tom, the bomb, the man, he just gives the gospel message like no other. Bring him there, and we'll help you out. We'll take care of it for you. Um, Hasten the Lord's coming, right? You can also hasten uh, his return by prayer. Not that prayers are just like, you know, ordering the check, check please, you know, by like praying to God. Like, it doesn't work like that. But just like Daniel prayed in uh, Daniel chapter 9 for a a fulfillment of the prophecy uh, regarding the captive Israel, even so, uh, we can pray. The second to last verse in the Bible, the second to last verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 10, says your kingdom come, or your even so, come, Lord Jesus. And the Lord's prayer itself has your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And we should be praying, we should be praying that the, the Lord's will be done on earth, that this kingdom would come, right? Verse 14 says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spots and blameless and considering that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty spotty and pretty blameful most days. Um, But his mercies are new every morning, and God doesn't, you know, get hung up on that stuff. He loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us every day. He's long-suffering. Verse 15 says, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in his epistle, speaking at them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So, this is this is pretty high praise coming from Peter. Like, he's lifting up Paul the Apostle in his writings, and he's saying, hey, guys, you should read what Paul says. Like, you should count what he says as scripture, and it's especially awesome because as recorded in the book of Galatians chapter 2, Paul actually rebuked Peter publicly. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying, like, you know, if, if, uh, you know, Pastor Joe is up here, and he publicly rebuked me in front of you guys, I I don't know (laughs) if my relationship with Joe would would be the same and if I could, you know, have a friendly relationship with him again. Um, But he did, and that's to Peter's credit. Like, he was humble, humble enough to do that. I think it's also awesome that he he also says, you know, like, read what Paul has to say, even though some of the things he writes about, it's, it's hard to understand. Which is that like a backhanded like compliment or something? Like if that's like me saying, Thanks for coming here this morning, make sure you come again next week and, and listen to Pastor Joe. He has some really good teachings. Even though some of them are a little hard to understand. You should listen to Joe's teachings. He's pretty good. Like, you know, that'd be kind of weird, but but like no, Peter, he means it, you know. He's like, you know what? I get it too. Some of these things are hard to understand. I mean, let's be honest. Can anyone just, like, open up the book of Romans and just, like, read straight through it and be like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Like, oh, yeah, i get that. Yeah, you know, like, it's hard to understand some of these things, right? Be encouraged. You're just like Peter, the apostle. Some of it's hard to understand. But if you can reason through it and if you can understand it, there you go. You have the qualifications to be a pope. <laughs> And he concludes, verse verses seventeen through eighteen. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And as we close, and I'll go ahead and invite Aaron and Bill to, to come back up here. Um, I want to go back to verse 13 and if any of you guys were paying attention you might have noticed I I might have skipped over that Um, but I didn't I wanted to save it for, for just this moment it says nevertheless we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells so I started my message off this morning hoping to encourage you guys to be heavenly minded and that's really how I want to end things with you. In fact, if if I was to like title my message this morning, maybe I would would call it Jesus Christ Endgame, you know, like Avengers Endgame. You know, he is the ultimate superhero after all. But that's it, right? That's the end game. We've got to keep the end game in mind. This what's going on here. This is temporary. This is all going to pass. It's all going to burn. It's just a fleeting moment. We're but a, a bleep on the radar, a, a vapor. Don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. <laughs> be be heavenly-minded. You know, the book of Revelation, um, chapter 21, it describes this new heaven and the new earth and it describes a new jerusalem a new city that's going to be about the size of the moon but like in a cube form just a little smaller than the moon and it's going to seem to like orbit this new new earth and it's going to be about 1500 square miles so 1500 by 1500 right One scientist um, did the math and crunched the numbers, and he explained it to be something like, um, it's gonna have enough room for about 20 billion people to each have about 75 acres of their own space. And that's only gonna take up about 25% of this city, leaving the rest of the 75% for like parks and rec or something, right? Which is awesome, right? (laughs) But most importantly, it's where his righteousness dwells. So that same chapter, um, chapter 21, verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And verse 23 says that the city has no sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. It's the best part. God's glory is going to fill that place so much so that his glory fills, fills it with light. There's no need for a sun or a moon because his glory, his joy, his love, his mercies are going to be there. And we're going to be there with him for eternal life. And that's, that changes everything. That's mind-blowing. You know, we can hardly, just barely get our minds around that, you know, the fact that we're going to live forever with him for eternity. So as far out as you can think of, and then like longer, you know, that just like blows my mind when I just sit there and I think about that and I get that chill up my spine, you know, just thinking about that. Well, maybe I'd invite you all to stand and I'll pray us out and we'll we'll sing one last song of worship. But as we close, I would challenge everyone. Do you have that hope in your life? Do you have that that promise? If you're here and you haven't given your life to Christ or if you're watching online and you haven't given your life to Christ, I challenge you to do that this morning. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be forgiven and you'll have an eternal life. You'll have this hope that we speak of, of Jesus' second coming. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's our promise. That's what we have to look forward to. Keep that promise. Keep that joy. Keep that that hope alive. Be heavenly minded. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your message, for your words, for Peter being faithful to, to write these things and encourage us all. God, I pray that as we go our separate ways, as we uh, prepare to celebrate Easter, the resurrection, God, I pray that we would just be so heavenly minded um, that we just can't contain this good news, God. I pray that as we go our separate ways, God, your people here would, would just be a light in this dark world, God, that they wouldn't that they couldn't contain this hope inside them, God. That it would just pour out naturally. That it would just be natural to invite someone to an Easter service, God, or just to encourage someone or just to share the gospel, God. God, I pray that we would just forget about all the the pain and suffering of this world, the distractions, the financial distractions, the arguments we get in with with people, with our families, with our loved ones, God, God, that we could just set aside all these things, God, and focus on you and your goodness and your glory, God, and that, man, you love us so much that that's all we need. That's all that really matters, God. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you this week and give you peace, I pray.